everybody, Mike Dempsey here for Underdog Fantasy, who are handing out $1 million in giveaways on Super Bowl Sunday. All you need is a verified Underdog account to be eligible. So sign up for Underdog Fantasy and see if you win this Sunday. Underdog Fantasy, don't forget to use promo code 1010XL. He's Hacker. I like a good serial killer documentary. He hasn't taken the pounding that wide receivers take. Uh, it's just a pound job, and, and guys are tired towards that, that four minutes. And he doesn't shy away from opinion. I would be lying to you if I said I had not heard things. They're like a bad rash. You hear a lot of things. Some are true, some aren't. It's Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. Oh, I'll never not laugh at Dave Campo talking about a good pound job here on Hacker After Dark. We love you, Coach. It is a Wednesday evening here in the city of Jacksonville, and we are glad you are with us with Dylan Denmark, the Hacker Ryan Green with you as we are at the middle point of the week. Of course, Super Bowl 58 coming up out in Las Vegas on Sunday the Kansas City Chiefs, and the San Francisco 49ers. It is February the 7th. That means one month ago today, the Jaguar season came to an end in Nashville, Tennessee. That's right. It's been one month since the Jaguars lost in Nashville, and their season came to an end amidst the biggest collapse in team history. Trevor Lawrence has made the rounds with the national media out in Las Vegas. We'll play you a couple of his thoughts. Something he said triggered something in me, which we'll get to in just a little bit. Also tonight, in hour number one, former Jaguar, Pro Bowl offensive tackle, Leon Searcy. You hear him every day on primetime. You get him weekly here on Hacker After Dark. He's played in a Super Bowl. We'll talk Kansas City and San Francisco with Leon. We'll also throw some Jaguar stuff at him That is coming up in less than 20 minutes. And at the top of the 9 o'clock hour, my goal is to bring you one or two draft guys a week moving forward. And one of my favorite websites is Draft Countdown. If you've listened to me over the years, you know that we go to Draft Countdown a lot. They were one of the first, you know, countdowns where you could do seven-round mock simulators and all that. They've been around for a long time. Shane Hallam is now the guy at Draft Countdown, and he's going to join us at the top of the 9 o'clock hour. We're going to talk about the 2024 draft class, but I also want to spend some time on some of the younger Jaguar players, right? Trayvon Walker, Devin Lloyd, Anton Harrison. Shane scouts these guys every year. It's what he does every day of his life, and I'm just curious to get his perspective on a couple of the younger Jaguars a few years in and his thoughts on them moving forward. So some draft talk, some Super Bowl talk, some Jaguar talk, all coming up in the next 60 minutes. Of course, we are with you tonight until 10 o'clock. Every night here on Hacker After Dark, we do give you a big deal of the night. And Dylan Denmark, let's do that right now. Time now for the big deal of the night. What's the big deal? What is the big deal? No big deal. It is a big deal. On Hacker After Dark. So, if you are a superstar player in the National Football League, you make the rounds during Super Bowl week, promoting something, right? And, of course, Trevor Lawrence has been promoting a lot of things. I see he's got a Ritz cracker deal, right? Head and shoulders deal. I believe he's taking part in a ping pong tournament tonight in Las Vegas for Super Bowl week. 
Of course, you can do that sort of stuff when you're actually not playing in the game. I kid because I care. Every NFL player seemingly is out there. Only two teams are obviously still playing. So a lot of guys take advantage of these opportunities. But Trevor, in making the rounds with some media yesterday, said a couple of things that, I guess, struck me. And first and foremost, he said something that when I heard it yesterday, I thought, I don't like that. I'm going to get on to Trevor about that. But as I started thinking about it more today, I tend to find myself maybe agreeing with Trevor a little more. Here is the comment from yesterday to the NFL Network, including our buddy Bucky Brooks. Trevor talking about missing the playoffs in 2023 and how potentially that could be a good thing in the long run. I think it could be a good thing for us in the long run. And sometimes when you have a season that finishes that way, especially not making the playoffs in the position that we were in, it kind of heightens the sense of urgency for everyone. We know, all right, we're not where we need to be. We're not where, we're not where we want to be. And you're coming off that instead of, you know, maybe a year, maybe we make the playoffs. We found a way to make the playoffs um, this year, and we don't learn the lessons we do because we think we're a little bit better than maybe we are. So I think it could heighten the sense of urgency. It could, you know, put a little pressure on us in a good way, and we need that. When I heard that yesterday, I thought, oh, no, because I'm going to disagree with Trevor, and then I'm going to get a bunch of people hating on me on social media for giving my unbiased, realistic thoughts and perspective on Trevor Lawrence, because I found out during the year, you say anything negative about Trevor Lawrence, you will just get bombarded by Jaguar Twitter, and you will be the worst human being on planet Earth. Uh, Unfortunately, that sort of stuff doesn't really bother me, and I still basically say whatever I feel, which is why I get to talk on the radio every night, and I'm very grateful for that opportunity. But I was going to rip Trevor over that. I thought, how on earth could missing the playoffs be a good thing? But then I did some self-reflection today on the Jaguars and my thoughts on them really the entire year. And 24 hours later, because Trevor said that last night, 24 hours later, I find myself saying, all right, I kind of see what he was talking about. I maybe agree with him a little bit. One of the things he said in that soundbite was basically the Jaguars' mantra last year in the offseason. You think you're better than you really are. Yeah. And we all did it last year. We're all guilty of it. You thought it. I thought it. Trent Baalke thought it. Everybody in Duval County thought it. We thought the Jaguars were better than they really were. They were 4 and 8 Thanksgiving 2022. 4 and 8. Coming off just an absolute abysmal showing in Detroit. But then for whatever reason they got hot. But let me tell you the reason I think they got hot in 2022. They beat Ryan Tannehill and the Titans in Nashville. They outscored the Cowboys. They didn't stop Dak Prescott, but they outscored him and beat him in overtime. Then they beat Zach Wilson and the Geico Caveman on Thursday night in New York. Then they beat Davis Mills in Houston. And then they beat Josh Dobbs in the AFC South Championship game in Tennessee. Against Tennessee. And then they're down 27-0 to Justin Herbert. They come all the way back because Brandon Staley is one of the worst head coaches in playoff history, the way he managed that second half. 
and they play Mahomes tough. Keep in mind, Mahomes didn't play all that game. It was Chad Henney that led Kansas City on a 98-yard drive. That should have told you something. But all the positivity, all the good vibes were maybe not what they should have been. Again, Davis Mills, Josh Dobbs, Zach Wilson, Ryan Tannehill were four of those six wins last year that got the Jaguars into the playoffs. And, yeah, they beat Dak. They outscored Dak. Dak put, like, 34 on him. They outscored him, including the pick six in overtime. And then the Chargers just absolutely imploded in the second half. But it was great. It was tremendous times here in Jacksonville. I wouldn't change it for anything. But I do believe making the playoffs in 2022, the way they did it, gave you, gave me, gave all of us, including, unfortunately, the decision makers, the idea that Jacksonville was better than they probably were. They were a 9-8 and eight football team in 2022. That's reality. They did nothing in the offseason to improve their team. Nothing. Yeah, they had some salary cap limitations, but they did nothing to really improve this roster other than the draft. And guess what? They finished 9-8 and eight in 2023. The same exact record that they had in 2022. So when Trevor Lawrence yesterday to the NFL Network says, maybe it's a good thing we missed the playoffs, again, I thought, wait a minute, how on earth can you say that? That's ridiculous. But in that same soundbite when he said, because if you make the playoffs, maybe you think you're better than you really are. Aha. That is exactly what the case was last season. Exactly. We know they're not that good now. We know they're an average, maybe slightly above average NFL football team. They won't run it back again. No siree. They will be much more active this offseason. They have to be. There was no fool's gold this year. They weren't very good at the end of the year. In fact, they were terrible at the end of the year. People forget they were 4-8 and eight in 2022 before that run. I forgot it. We were living in the moment, man. We had won five in a row to get to the playoffs. Everything was great. You beat Herbert in dramatic fashion to win a wild card game. It's unbelievable. Clearly, looking back now, the Jaguars were not as good as we all thought they were last year. And the evidence of that was this season. They were bad at the end of the year. And missing the playoffs, you don't have the same fool's gold that you had 52 some odd weeks ago. You have more reality. And what reality is, is the Jaguars are a 9-8 and middle-of-the-pack NFL football team that needs a lot of work, and I do mean a lot of work, to compete in an American football conference that's not going to get any easier. Anthony Richardson comes back in the division. Tennessee's got a brand-new head coach. C.J. Stroud, another year of experience. And yeah, oh, by the way... Justin Herbert will be healthy with Jim Harbaugh. Joe Burrow will be healthy. Josh Allen will be back. Obviously, Mahomes. Deshaun Watson will be back. Lamar Jackson will be hungry again. 
It is going to be brutal in the AFC in 2024. So the Jaguar offseason, they better do a lot more than they did 52 weeks ago. With that as a backdrop, let's get a couple more thoughts out of Trevor. He was on with Kay Adams earlier this week as well, I believe last night. He also was asked about free agency, re-signing guys. Trevor, do you have any input in who the Jaguars re-sign? There's definitely conversations that I have with, you know, Coach Peterson and Trent and, and whoever and press and the offensive side that is about personnel and, you know, guys I really like that, you know, maybe that are up as free agents and want to come back or whatever it is, you know, different things come up and they will ask me and I think they do value my opinion, which is important to me. But I also know that I can't be the best quarterback I can be if I'm also trying to be the GM or the head coach. I have to, I think it is healthy to have some separation there, but no, we communicate and I think we have a great relationship. They better value his opinion. I'm not sure if he needs to tell him you need to re-sign player A, B, C, and D, but they better at least talk to him, particularly on the offensive side of the ball. And I hope Trevor in three years now has got enough to tell Balky, hey, we need an upgrade here. We need an upgrade of the offensive line. I'm getting killed back here. We all can see it. That's my biggest fear this offseason. We all saw that they didn't have a pass rush, they being the Jaguars. We all saw that. We talked every night here on Hacker After Dark, every show on 1010XL, that they had nothing behind Trayvon Walker and Josh Allen. And that proved to be right on. 40 sacks, Walker and Allen accumulated for 27 and a half of them. My biggest fear is that they still think they have an offensive line because they don't. I think at absolute minimum, you need two new starters on that line, if not three. And I hope Trevor, who obviously knows better than we all do because he was the one getting killed every week, and Travis Etienne for that matter, who kept getting tackled four yards in the backfield because the line couldn't block anybody, I hope they're knocking on Balky's door every day saying, you better do something with this offensive line because this isn't working. These guys are not getting the job done, and they're not. I like them. I like them a lot. I talked to them in the locker room. This is nothing personal. They just did not play worth the darn at points in this season. No question about it. Finally, from Trevor, this was actually this morning with Kay Adams. One of those guys about being re-signed is certainly Josh Allen. Trevor, will Josh Allen be back in Jacksonville in 2024? He'll be there. I got faith. I got faith he's going to be there. We he need better. Him. That's a big thing to say. He better be back. Yeah. No, he, he, he had a, he's an incredible player. We need him. He's been the, he's an anchor for our defense and I'm excited, excited for this next year for him. I know he's going to keep getting better. So I, I, I'm, I'm hoping he's back. I think he will be. He was the MVP of the team. If there was a better player on this football team than Josh Allen, point him out to me. Cause I don't believe there was, I think the only other argument you could make was Evan Ingram who was very good in his own right. Ingram was the MVP of the offense. To me, Josh Allen was the overall MVP of the football team. And he earned himself a lot of money. Again, I said earlier in the week, I would be careful because the reality is Josh Allen got as many sacks in 2020, 2021, and 2022 as he did in 2023. I mean, he blew up this year. But you got to reward that guy. He was your best player. Think about how bad this defense would have been had Josh Allen not been out there. 
You have to bring him back. And more importantly, not just bring him back, you got to make him happy. I hope this doesn't get into a contract dispute with the franchise tag and all that. You need a happy Josh Allen, much like you had a happy Evan Ingram. And you see how that translated. Do the same thing with Josh Allen. 641-1010 on the text line designed by Lifetime Enclosures. I will tell you this as well. Don't know if you saw this earlier this evening, but Mike Caldwell lands on his feet, former Jaguar defensive coordinator who was fired the Monday after the Titans game. Now the running game coordinator for the Las Vegas Raiders. He joins Antonio Pierce's staff out in Las Vegas. So Mike Caldwell back in the NFL, formerly here in Jacksonville, now with the Las Vegas Raiders. Leon Searcy, you hear him every day on primetime, former Pro Bowl offensive tackle for the Jacksonville Jaguars. He's with us every week here on Hacker After Dark. We'll talk Jags, certainly. We'll talk San Francisco, Kansas City. We'll also talk about Leon. Not often you get to talk to a guy that played in the Super Bowl during Super Bowl week. We'll talk to Leon about all that. That's coming up next. Hacker After Dark on a Wednesday night in Jacksonville, Florida, and we're glad you're with us. It's 1010XL, and it's 92.5 FM. Let's ring up another guest on the All-Pro Roofing phone line. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. Super Bowl 58 coming up on Sunday. The Kansas City Chiefs and the San Francisco 49ers. Almost six months to the day the Jaguars began their preseason. The NFL season will finally come to an end. With that, we welcome in my buddy Leon Searcy. He's played in a Super Bowl for the Pittsburgh Steelers. He's a former offensive tackle here in Jacksonville. Of course, you hear him every day on primetime, and you get him weekly here on Hacker After Dark. Leon, how you doing, man? I'm doing great, bro. Leon, every time the Super Bowl comes around, you get bombarded with questions, so let me go ahead and add to that. Uh, Your memories of Super Bowl week, obviously, I don't talk to a lot of guys that played in the Super Bowl. You're certainly one of them. Uh, how was that week for you? What are your fondest memories? Uh, well, you know, uh, my fondest memories was is the fact that uh, I played in the Super Bowl, but uh, my most devastating loss, my most devastating loss in my career as a football player is probably in the Super Bowl. Uh, but you know, listen, I, you still can't take away the memories that I had that week going into Arizona. You know, Monday we fly in, Tuesday's media day, Wednesday, like which is today is Wednesday. Um, more of a seriousness about the game is now in, in approach as far as the the, the breakdown and the, and the and the game plan and the and the vigor and hate and resentment that you have for the team. You start to build that up right now because all the the seriousness of the game is upon you because the first two days that Monday that Tuesday. You usually you don't have any curfew. The coaches are a little, you know, they're a little lax when it comes to, uh, you know, the meetings are a little later. But now that it's Wednesday, you know, this is probably your first day that you have curfew. Uh, curfew is probably at one o'clock. Uh, guys don't want to be out and about on this late in the week because you, if the the perception is, if you're out that late and you're missing curfew or you're cutting cutting close curfew close your mind isn't completely into the game. So you don't want to be that guy to be that representation of someone who's not locked in right now because it's Wednesday. And, of course, you know, with it being in Las Vegas, that adds to the temptation. So Mm -hmm. the coach has got to really buckle down there. 
Leon, you accomplished so much in your career, man. Pro Bowls, uh, one of the best players to ever wear a Jacksonville Jaguar uniform. But it's been 28 years since that Super Bowl loss. And every time I bring this up with you, you can tell it still stings, right? I mean, 28 years since you Mm -hmm. lost that game, but I bet it feels like yesterday. Yeah, I mean, um, it it, it bothers me that, uh, you know, losing the Super Bowl, it bothers me. It bothers me two part because we lost to the Cowboys one. And two, the second part of it is that I didn't have my best game. I, mean, I, I can admit to it. I, I mean, I can look myself in the mirror. I, I knew I had my best game the day after when we lost. And that, that's the frustrating part about it is that um, uh, I, I didn't have my best game. And then when you, when you think about the fact that you didn't have your best game, you wondered if you had played to your best, what I had determined the different outcome in the game. So all those kind of things kind of factor in. Uh, when it comes to the Super Bowl. Um, so, yeah, I mean, like I said, the experience of going to the Super Bowl, you know, I listen, I remember being a little kid, you know, growing up in D.C., watching the Super Bowl as a little kid, envisioning myself playing in one one day, and then when it actually happens, you know, it was a dream come true. But it was still the frustrating part and factor into the fact that, uh, for one, we lost to the Cowboys, and for two, uh I didn't have the stellar game that I should have had that maybe could have, in my mind, determined the outcome of the game. You get Leon Searcy every day on primetime. You get him weekly here on Hacker After Dark. Leon, about those Steeler days, I saw a clip earlier this week of Bill Cowher, your head coach there with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Boy, just raving about you, man. He was asked about his first ever draft pick. I didn't realize that, that you were the first ever pick for Bill Cowher, I guess that slipped my mind in 1992, I guess it was. And, boy, Bill Cowher just singing your praises this week, man. Yeah, you know, it, you know, it, it was it was pretty cool to watch and see, you know, uh, the interview with Coach Cowher. Uh, Coach Cowher got the job with the Pittsburgh Steelers in 1992. And it was interesting that, that he, he talked about the fact that he was trying – he wanted to build a culture. He wanted to send uh, – he wanted to send a message to the NFL of what type of team the Steelers were going to be. And he picked me. He picked the offensive line out of the University of Miami. And the most profound thing that he said that, you know, kind of ringed dear to me is that he said he drafted me because of my toughness. And he built the team from the inside out, which meant from the offensive line, defensive line on out. Uh, and so that meant a lot to me to hear Bill Cowher say that because, um, you know, I, I, I had great times with the Steelers. I had an absolutely wonderful time with the Steelers. They they drafted me number one overall uh, with the 11th pick in the 1992 draft. And I, and those four years that I had, I was with the Steelers. We never had a losing record. We went to two AFC championship games in the Super Bowl. So uh, it was it was endearing to me to hear Coach Cower uh, be affectious. And, you know, it's, it's strange to me now, you know, because, you know, all these coaches now, you know, they get older now. And and you get older, and you hear some of the the the, um, the the accolades and praises from these coaches now that they're older. And I guess when you're younger, you don't hear it because they they're so in tune to coaching and being tough and all the other kind of stuff. But when you hear stuff like this from Cower, I've heard stuff like this from Coach Johnson, I've heard stuff like this from Tom Coughlin. Um, it's endearing to me because uh, uh, all I ever wanted to be is you know known as a, a tough physical offensive lineman and get my due respect from not only my peers, but from the coaches that coach me. 
I mean, think about what you just said. You know, Jimmy Johnson, and even throw in an honorable mention to Dennis Erickson, and then obviously Bill Cower and Tom Coughlin. You were coached by what will be at one point three Hall of Famers in Canton, Ohio, and Dennis Erickson mm-hmm. was a heck of a coach in his own right in college and a little bit in the NFL, quite frankly. Do you ever take time to just reminisce about, wow, man, not a lot of guys get to experience the amount of success that you did and those head coaches are a prime result of that? They are. They absolutely are. It, it, it's kind of, you know, Hacker, it's kind of like, uh, you know, once my career was over, you know, uh, maybe five, ten years down the road, I, I would look back in my locker rooms with the Steelers and look back in my locker room with the Jaguars and I would say to myself, man, I mean, I played with some hell of a five, hell of five players. And you don't have a real appreciation or fondness for those guys when you're playing with them because, you know, you're just teammates. You know, you, you jaw at each other. You know, you prank each other. You hang out with each other. Uh, but you don't you don't get to appreciate how great they were until your career is over. And that's kind of the same way when it comes to the coaching staff. I mean, you know, with Jimmy Johnson, you know, he was – Integral in my first two years at University of Miami, you know, taught me how to be a champion. Then, you know, can't exclude Erickson and what he did. And then to get drafted by Bill Cower and an organization like the Pittsburgh Steelers were excellent, was was demanding each and every day. And then to come to Jacksonville and have, you know, Tom Coughlin with all his rigor and his toughness to build up a, a, a team of the 90s uh, when no one was expecting it. So, I mean... Uh, I look back at it and I have a fondness and appreciation and grateful and thankful that I was able to be around such great human beings, uh, not only football wise, but as in, in my personal relationship with them as well. Leon, we'll get to the game in one moment, get your thoughts on the Chiefs and the 49ers. But it struck me as I was driving in earlier today, you look at the calendar, right? The Jaguar season ended a month ago, exactly one month ago today. NFL free agency begins 33 days from today. So we're almost at the halfway point. In fact, I think tomorrow will actually be the halfway point between the end of the regular season and the league calendar starting, which means free agency. If you're Calvin Ridley, right, if you're Ezra Cleveland, Josh Allen probably expects the franchise tag, so I'll exclude him for a moment. I mean, you live this life as a big-time free agent, Mm-hmm. Where are you mentally? You know, four weeks out from free agency. Have conversations began with the Jaguars about re-signing? Are you having back-channel conversations via your agent at the Super Bowl with other teams? Where are you mentally a month out from free agency? Well, I mean, me, me personally, I mean, I, I couldn't do any more. I mean, I, 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 was, I was relaxed. You know, because, uh, I mean, the Steelers tried to sign me before the season, the middle of the season, the end of the season, after the Super Bowl. And I essentially told them, no, I'm going into free agency. Now, you know, once I get into free agency, you know, I get a big bidder. If you're able to match it, then maybe I'll come back. But I gave them all every opportunity to sign me, at least four opportunities to sign me, and they, and they chose not to. Well, I can't say they didn't choose not to, but th- their level of play- pay was not, was not contingent upon what I expected to get in free agency. So, I mean, they missed that opportunity. Um, now, I, I still had, I had, still had desires to want to be a Steeler, but I, I understood the business nature behind it. Is that uh, 
it's going to be a bidding war. I had done my part. I had played at an elevated level. I, I, I exceeded my expectations. We had played in the Super Bowl. I got all pro recognition. I mean, it's probably the last thing that the Steelers want. No, I won't say that. I was going to say initially, I was probably the last thing the Steelers wanted to see. But I, 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 I'm going to take that back because, um, you know, they don't draft you, you know, in the first round. They don't want you to excel and live up to the potential of being a first-round pick. So I believe they, they, they felt that they had done the right thing. Um, but th- uh, their opportunity to sign me, they, they squandered it because they had at least four opportunities to sign me. I was, I, I had Drew Rosenhaus and Drew kept telling me, no, that's not enough. That's not enough. And at some particular point after the Super Bowl, I just said, you know what? I'm just going to let free agency dictate the market and whatever the market says I'm, I'm worth, I'm going to give Pittsburgh an opportunity to match that. And if they don't match it, and I've got to move on to greener pastures. Final moments with former Jaguar offensive tackle, Pro Bowl offensive tackle, Leon Searcy. Leon, we hear about the negotiation window Monday, March 11th. That's bunk, right? I mean, those conversations are going on right now. Whether they're legal or not in the NFL world, agents are talking to teams right now, correct? Yeah, they're whispers. Uh, They're whispers uh, because it was going on when I was happening, you know, when I was playing. uh, you know, the free agent, whatever the free agent market was. I mean, I had four teams um, right up to the Super Bowl that already wanted me to take visits, you know. or uh, They had already scheduled with my agent, hey, listen, we want Leon to come out here, check out the facility, meet the coaches, staff. So all those arrangements are already made uh, behind the corridors and closed doors uh, between the or- these organizations and these agents. Now, we didn't have social media back then. You know, so you have social media now. The, the one thing that you got to be cautious of is uh, leaks, uh, because you, you know there there are people out there who want to do their job to find out information that ultimately that uh, that you know organizations and agents don't want you to get whispers of. So that that's what you've got to be careful of because uh, the tampering issues. Uh, you you technically can't talk to players until the free agent market is officially open, but I guarantee you there are NFL teams and agents right now behind closed doors or in the the, the depths of uh, deep corridors talking about getting my guy out, out here to visit uh, your particular team. And the crazy thing is the Super Bowl is February 11th. The league calendar is one month after that. Monday, March 11th is when free agency begins. Leon, let's talk about the game. Kansas City, San Francisco, the Chiefs probably not their best team, yet they have found a way to get here, and they have gone through a gauntlet of Miami, Buffalo, and Baltimore. San Francisco probably didn't outplay Green Bay, yet they won the game. San Francisco probably didn't outplay Detroit, but they won the game. So certainly contrasting styles. What are your thoughts on the game Sunday night? Well, i tell you this. They better not get down 14 nothing to Kansas City. Yeah. Let me just tell you that part right now. Listen, longest fifteen is one. Longest fifteen is in the Kansas City uh, City Chiefs jersey. I'm not going to bet against them anymore. I mean, I I was looking for every reason to write the Kansas City Chiefs off all season long. Well, you know they're they're not the juggernaut they used to be. Well, they're not this. Well, they're not that. The receivers are dropping balls. The receivers are lining off 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 sides. Uh, the defense is carrying them. Uh, all those door though. At what hell playoffs come? 
oh, this is going to be it. You know, they, they can't they can't win on the road. They've had the luxury of winning all these championships at home and going and beat Buffalo. Oh, no way. I mean, the Ravens are a solid team. This is L Boogie's opportunity. He's at home. Everything's with them. They go into the Ravens' house and they beat So I listen, hack, I'm done. I'm done. I'm not betting against Patrick Holmes anymore until proven otherwise. I tend to be there with you. I'll do my official prediction on Friday, I guess, but I'm certainly leaning Kansas City. And, Leon, as we begin to wrap, we talked about the great head coaches that you played for in the NFL, Bill Cowher, Tom Coughlin, um, Andy Reid. If Andy Reid wins on Sunday, that'll be his third Super Bowl. He will have been to five Super Bowls at that point. Do you begin a conversation as to where he is in relation to Belichick to be the greatest head coach in the history of the NFL? Well, I, I, I tell you this, Hack. Um, he's in the conversation. He's in, he's definitely in the conversation. Um, uh, I don't know if he's at the table, but he's in the room for sure. He's absolutely in the room. And, and, and what, in my opinion, what equates to a dynasty? I know a lot of people saying, well, is this Kansas City team a dynasty? Well, I, I, this is what I equate a dynasty to, back-to-back Super Bowls. You think about all the great teams that won back-to-back Super Bowls, then you that's when you're considered a dynasty. Steelers, Cowboys, uh, pa- the Patriots won back-to-back Super, uh, Super Bowls. So once, I mean, once they do they, they if they do something special on Sunday and they win their second Super Bowl in a row, uh, this will be their what third and what five years? Third and five years, yeah. Third and five years, it's a dynasty, bro. I mean, that's that's what I equate a dynasty, is that yeah, yeah, you got to win a bunch of Super Bowls. But if you went back to back, and you're talking about three Super Bowls in five years, and you've got back to back Super Bowls, yes, you're absolutely a dynasty. And and and, and underneath Andy Reid's, uh, underneath Andy Reid's watch too as well. So I mean, I, I, I'm not sure if I would put him at the table yet with Belichick. Uh, but yeah, he's definitely in the room. Leon, leave us with this. What's the plan on Sunday for a former Pro Bowl or a former guy that played in the Super Bowl? What's your Super Bowl festivities look like? Uh, well, you know, it had to be, be quite honest with you. Uh, I'm waiting for an invite. I'm, I'm waiting for someone to invite me somewhere to watch the game. Or if not, I'm just going to stay home and uh, order some uh, finger foods and uh, – have me some libations. Don't throw the invite out there. You'll get your Twitter blown up with people that want Leon <laughs> seriously to hang out with them. I'll tell you this. You get Leon a cigar and some libations, and he'll be telling stories all night long. I can certainly Ab- attest to that. Absolutely, bro. Hey, Leon, always appreciate it, buddy. We'll recap the Super Bowl next week. Thank you, my friend. You got it, bro. Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. 48 minutes after the 8 o'clock hour. We'll take you up to 10 o'clock tonight here on Hacker After Dark, 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Coming up in less than 15 minutes, Shane Hallam. Who is Shane Hallam? Well, he runs one of my favorite draft websites, draftcountdown.com. We'll start looking at the 24 draft class. Obviously, the Senior Bowl in the rearview mirror. The Combine only a couple of weeks away. But also with Shane, I want to talk about And we're going to have him on a couple of times, obviously, leading up to the draft. So our first uh, conversation of the year, if you will, 
I want to talk to Shane about some of the younger Jaguar players, right? From Devin Lloyd to Trayvon Walker to Anton Harrison, Brenton Strange, Tank Bigsby, just kind of get his thoughts on some of these guys, what they've done so far, and if they can do more moving forward. So we'll do all that with Shane Hallam of Draft Countdown coming up in less than 15 minutes at the bottom of the 9 o'clock hour. My buddy Matt Verderam of SI and the Monday Morning Quarterback as we'll talk Jags. We'll also spend a lot of time on Kansas City and San Francisco. As the week goes on, I'm leaning more and more Kansas City. I just think, look, there's a lot of ways to slice this game. But at the end of the day, if you want the most basic breakdown of this game, here it is. One team has Patrick Mahomes and one team does not. Keep in mind, Mahomes has lost one Super Bowl. He lost that Super Bowl to Tom Brady. And he lost that Super Bowl in large part because both his starting offensive tackles were hurt. So he was running for his life the entire second half. In games where Patrick Mahomes plays a quarterback not named Tom Brady, he's obviously been very good in the postseason and very good in the Super Bowl. Denmark, at this point, it's Wednesday. It's still somewhat early, although, you know, we're getting down to it. What's your thought, Kansas City or San Francisco? Kansas City, uh, it's crazy to think that this is their third consecutive game as them being an underdog. Um, I don't understand how they're a a two-and-a-half-point dog. Uh, Kansas City, I get the better coach, I get the better quarterback, and I get the better defense. The defense, San Francisco has the better names, but Kansas City's been playing lights out on defense, and I just think Patrick Mahomes makes a play in the fourth quarter where it matters most. We're going to go out to Kansas City tomorrow night. My buddy Seren Petro of Sports Radio 810, he's our guy when it comes to the Kansas City Chiefs, and he told me something, was it two weeks ago? It was after the Buffalo game, before the Baltimore game. And he said he hopes Kansas City wins one this year because obviously Mahomes isn't going anywhere. But Kansas City's going to have problems on defense next year. They're only projected to be like $20 under the cap right now. And you got LeJarius Sneed and Chris Jones and Drew Tranquil and all these guys on defense that might not be back. Seren does not think Chris Jones will be a Kansas City Chief next year who you could argue is clearly the best player on that defense. So this is a big one for Mahomes and Andy Reid to get number three because there could be some attrition on the Chiefs' defense coming up this offseason. We'll certainly see what happens. Again, it's crazy to think about the Super Bowl is on February 11th. On March 11th is when free agency begins. So one month from Sunday night, is when the new league calendar will begin, free agent negotiations. I think contracts can officially be signed on Wednesday, March the 13th. So much more on the National Football League coming up, both draft talk and Super Bowl talk here on Hacker After Dark. Before we get there, with some big news this evening in the world of college football, nothing to do on the field, but on the TV side of things, as ESPN has announced that Nick Saban, yeah, the GOAT of college football, Nick Saban will join their staff and be a frequent contributor on college game day. And Denmark, you and I were talking. I'm in complete agreement with you. You know, Nick Saban, some people think he's bland. He doesn't give you a whole lot. I completely disagree. Nick Saban's call-in show in Tuscaloosa 
Nick Saban press conferences, that guy gives you a ton, man, especially when he gets fired up, gets a little angry. I think Nick Saban on college game day potentially could be very, very good. Well, I don't ever think he'll get angry, but he's he's very entertaining and he's funny. I mean, I don't know how many how much of this audience listens to him when he's on McAfee, but during the season he would give McAfee like 20, 30 minutes every week during the season, and he'd be great every time regardless of what the topic was. And I just think that, you know, with the way game day has gone, like it seems like it's lost its luster the last five, ten years, especially the way Corso, you know, he hasn't been – you know, as you know, as connected, Saban, I think, could rejuvenize it and make it a really good product on Saturday morning. Well, and there's talk that McAfee's not going to come back to game day because he's back with the WWE full-time, so he's going to be traveling a lot more. So maybe Saban slides into McAfee's spot. There was talk that would Saban replace Corso. No, I don't think so. Now, Corso doesn't do full shows as is, obviously. I mean, Lee is, what, 86, 87 years old. But Saban, to me, might be the replacement for McAfee because McAfee is full-time now, again, with the WWE. Boy, Pat McAfee's taking over the world, man. They're uh, back, for whatever reason, ESPN, for the longest time, Super Bowl week, had not been at Radio Row where all the media and the convention centers, wherever the Super Bowl's being held. McAfee's show is there, and not only are they there this week, they have built this ginormous soundstage looking thing for McAfee in the corner of this convention center of the Mandalay Bay in Las Vegas, Nevada. And I was watching some of it earlier today and it was spectacular. Absolutely spectacular. So love him or hate him. And I tend to love him. I think McAfee does a great job. I know some of you probably don't like his shtick. I personally like what he does, but ESPN is all in on this guy because they are traveling him around they are building the nicest things imaginable for this guy. And Pat McAfee is going to be a big, big part of ESPN moving forward. 641-1010 on the text line, designed by Lifetime Enclosures. Your thoughts are always welcome here on a Wednesday night edition of Hacker After Dark. Coming up next, Senior Bowl in the rearview mirror, Combine a couple of weeks away Let's talk Trayvon Walker. Let's talk Devin Lloyd, Anton Harrison, some of the young Jacksonville Jaguars. And let's begin looking at this 24 draft class. Shane Hallam is the guy at draftcountdown.com. I've had the folks at draftcountdown.com on for years, and that will continue here in 2024. We're talking draft with you next on Hacker After Dark. Let's ring up another guest on the all-pro roofing phone line. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. Well, the Senior Bowl is in the rearview mirror. Of course, we have Super Bowl 58 coming up on Sunday, and then you'll blink your eyes and they'll be in Indianapolis for the scouting combine, as the NFL really never does have an offseason anymore. And it must be February because that's time for Shane Hallam here on 1010XL. Draft Countdown is his website. I've been going to Draft Countdown for years. I think they do a terrific job. And Shane Hallam runs Draft Countdown, and he's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL. Shane, it's been a little while, man. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Just uh, another another draft uh, cycle approaches here, so we're getting getting deep into it, and I'm excited to talk to you again. Yeah, man, absolutely. And before we look ahead, let's take a look back, and let's go back a couple of years, Shane. I want to talk about some of the younger Jaguar guys, get your thoughts on them. You've been covering the draft for years, 
And let's begin with Trayvon Walker. You know, amidst the Jaguar collapse at the end of the year, one of the positives, if there were any positives, I thought was Trayvon Walker. I thought he really came on towards the end, ended up finishing with 10 sacks uh, as opposed to the three and a half he had his rookie year. What was your thought on Trayvon Walker, and what's your thought on him moving forward? Well, I think the upside was there, right? It's why they took him number one overall. I think you you saw at the end of this season how he could reach that upside. I think he's progressing well. You have to be happy with that. You're always going to get the Aiden Hutchinson comparisons who's had two monster years for the Lions. But ultimately, Walker fits what the Jaguars are doing. I think we see uh, where he can get to. And double-digit sack seasons, I think, could become the norm if he keeps progressing. Yeah, that's certainly the hope. And, boy, he and Josh Allen combined, that one-two combo, 27 and a half sacks for those two guys. They just need to get help behind them because after those two, there wasn't a whole lot of help there. Uh, The same draft as Trayvon Walker, they drafted Devin Lloyd. And Devin Lloyd is a guy that had a lot of promise, and I still think there's potential there. But clearly, Shane, there's been some struggles with him two years in. It's the tough part about taking an off-ball linebacker in the first round of the draft where the expectations are high. And that, that is a position like the quarterback position where a lot of it is about what's what's between the years. And I think Devin Lloyd, you know, felt like coming in, had that, had shown that. Uh, but it's just not progressing in the way for him to really truly be a leader and 100-tackle type player for this defense. Um, I think he could still have a role. I, I don't think that we're going to look back on that pick and say, wow, you know, they nailed it. Uh, he really progressed year three, year four. But ultimately, I think Devin Lloyd can still contribute and hopefully improve the defense and keep improving. Shane Hallam of Draft Countdown. Now, Shane, I'm not going to ask you to break down the X's and O's here. I'm going to ask you to go off of memory. Your memories when covering the draft of Luke Fortner, the center out of Kentucky, because since he was drafted, he came right into Jacksonville. He has started every game. I like Luke a lot, but, man, there were some games this year where he just – well, quite frankly, wasn't very good. And I think the Jaguar, the fans at least, believe they need to upgrade that position. Uh, what what was your thought on Fortner coming out, and what's your thought on him two years in? So for Fortner, I had him rated as more of a day three pick coming out of his final season there in Kentucky. And then he really had a, a great offseason, had a great senior bowl, had a good you know combine interview performance. And I think – maybe unjustly propped him up a bit. I mean, look, it's good to get a guy who can start games for you. I think Luke Fortner can be a solid backup. He has experience now, but yeah, I'm kind of with the fans. that feel like there's an upgrade here, something the Jaguars should address in the draft early, in my opinion, get a new starter at that center position and the interior line in general. And, uh, you know, Forner's a good player, I think, to have on the squad. But I thought he was overdrafted at the time. Um, I think, you know, that's probably the case. But uh, still, you know, still is a good player who can make the roster and contribute if there's injuries. Yeah, I'm right there with you. To me, Luke Forner's absolutely one of your 10 best offensive linemen. He should be on the roster. I just don't know if he needs to be the starting center based on what I've seen the last two years. I'll be curious to see what the Jaguars do there. Along the offensive line as well, they drafted Anton Harrison last year. I know you and I had a lot of conversations about Anton Harrison after the draft. 
Shane, I got to be honest, man. I was very pleasantly surprised with Anton Harrison a year ago. What were your thoughts on his rookie season? I thought he did exactly what he needed to do and flashed that pass blocking uh, potential. And I think even showed maybe some good setting of the edge in the run game. I don't think Anton Harrison was perfect as a rookie and and an all pro as a rookie. Um, But you definitely saw the building blocks for him to become a franchise offensive tackle for the Jaguars. So I was happy with what, you know, with where they drafted him outside the top 20 and what you saw his rookie year that, hey, this could be a player that's a rock-solid uh, offensive tackle in the future. I mean, he played left tackle at Oklahoma. There's a thought that if Cam Robinson's too expensive for the Jaguars, perhaps move Anton from the right side to the left side. Do you see any issue with that? I, I don't think there's much issue. I think nowadays most tackles are, are, are training in both and ready for both. Um, the only hesitation I would have is, uh, that you had such a good season at right tackle. Do you want to, you know, do you want, do you want to mess that up and, and swap him? And if he doesn't play as well now, what do you do? They could just put you in a pickle later. Yeah, it's a good point. And it was a good thing. Anton Harrison had a good rookie year, Shane, because a lot of the other guys, quite frankly, didn't do very much. Uh, Brenton strange in round two tank Bigsby in round three, both left a lot to be desired. Now, certainly both guys can get better. Both guys can mature and still end up being good picks. But as far as their rookie years go, I think uh, Jaguar fans were left wanting more from both guys. Uh, the Brenton Strange pick still to me is, is baffling. <laughs> uh, I mean, when you have Evan Ingram there and it just seemed like a, a, you know, a panic pick at the time, I think we, we saw it kind of not play out uh, to, for Brenton Strange to be a big contributor. So get that. I, I was disappointed. Uh, and how Tank Bigsby played, that he just didn't establish himself as the backup that they were hoping for. So maybe I still have a little bit of hope that he could come around, but uh, definitely if there is some value running back in day three, I think you could take another shot this year and maybe have someone to compete with him. See, my thing about Bigsby, and I know you and I talked about this, and I talked to people out at Auburn when he was drafted. Great guy, great locker room guy, and absolutely I agree with all that. I think there's a place for him here. But people at Auburn told me, Shane, he's a fumbler. And what happens his rookie year, he fumbles the ball, right? I mean, if you get labeled as a fumbler, defensive players are going to go after that football. That's going to be something Tank's got to figure out this offseason. Yeah, it needs fixed. Or you, you, there's no way any, any coach is going to put you on the field if you're going to turn the ball over like that. Uh, so hopefully that, that is the focus for him this offseason. Shane Hallam draft countdown quickly to a couple of mid-round guys. What they lacked in rounds two and three, Shane, they might have made up for later in the draft. I thought Parker Washington, the wide receiver out of Penn State, showed some flashes, particularly when Christian Kirk got hurt. And then I love everything about Antonio Johnson. I think the Jaguars got a steal there. What's your thought? I I thought Antonio Johnson, I think you and I talked about it last year. It was a steal at the time. I had him rated as a day two pick. I don't know why people passed maybe it just was fit but uh, that was a slam dunk selection and we saw it play out on the field almost immediately um i think he has a a spot at worst case as a rotational starter for the jaguars and then um you know i i i am i think i think it was good i i think as well that uh hitting on those day three picks can be really helpful uh in honestly like posing uh how how a draft goes so 
Um, to me, I think Parker Washington's a perfect example of that. You have a guy that can be the number four, number three receiver on the team. Uh, if there's an injury, he can plug in and you don't have to worry about it. It really does save that day too. Shane Hallam, draft countdown. All right, that gets us to this year. I know you've been working on this draft class basically since last year ended. I imagine the Sunday after the draft last year, you were on to the 2024 draft. So here we are, less than 90 days out. In totality, Shane, good draft class, weak draft class. How would you assess it overall? I think it's pretty solid, a uh, solid draft class. I think it lacks maybe the depth that we've continued to see uh, in these recent years after the COVID year, players going back to school, transferring six years, seven years. So that hurts the depth of the class. But as we just talked about, you can always get day three gems, players fall. I think it's a good class. You have some really, really strong positions, corner, offensive line, wide receiver, um, kind of the usual suspects of recent years that are very strong again, and some weaker positions that are there as always. But uh, I would, I would put it, in terms of like the last two years, I think 2024 is right up there and maybe a slightly better draft class than last season. I heard a crazy stat earlier this week. 54 guys declared for the draft this year, declared early, as opposed to over 140 guys who did it in 2019. And that just goes to show you the power of NIL and the power of the transfer portal that are keeping kids in college, right? Yeah, well, and it also shows you the power of having an extra year. So there's there's no reason to come out uh, a year three, like you said, between NIL players making more money to uh, hey, I can stick around for another year. The, the fact that we had guys staying five years, six years, seven years, a lot of these three year players didn't get to play until this year. Some of them still aren't haven't played. I think that is making a big difference where you don't have these players playing three years, two years. Um, so less are coming out. Shane, where are you with the quarterbacks at the top of the draft? How do you have, you know, Caleb Williams, obviously uh, Jaden Daniels, Drake May? How do you assess those guys, one, two, three? Uh, Caleb Williams is probably going to end up being a top five quarterback that I've ever scouted since I started in 2004, so this will be my 21st season. Uh, he, he has the dynamic ability. He has the accuracy, makes NFL throws. You know, there's a lot to like about Caleb Williams. I have him a step above uh, the, the next uh, kind of tier. I think Drake May has potential to, to be there. I mean, I assess him as a really good quarterback, um, probably within my top 25 that I've ever scouted because he has the size, he has athletic ability, has arm strength, just hasn't quite put it together to win games. And so, yeah, I think you get a little fear there. Whereas Jane Daniels from LSU, I, I think, is in that conversation, too, because of the Heisman Trophy season and the rushing ability and the unique offense that he could be up there. I, I think those three are kind of the, the top of the draft tier, and then it becomes uh, kind of dealer's choice of what teams prefer for the next group of quarterbacks. Do you have a player comp for Caleb Williams? Is there somebody he reminds you of? Uh, it's a good question. I, you know, it's tough because I don't know if we've had these players at the top. I think – to me, he is kind of Kyler Murray plus as a prospect. When Kyler Murray came out, he didn't quite have the experience, but had that one really good year. And Caleb Williams has just done that for two and a half years. Uh, so I've kind of gotten the ability to see that. Now, now copying Kyler Murray, you feel like, oh, well, that would be a bad NFL career. But more as prospects, I think uh, Caleb Williams has that plus the experience to come in and be ready to go more than Kyler Murray was. 
Final moments with Shane Hallam of Draft Countdown. As far as the Jaguars go, look, it's hard to predict what they're going to do at 17 and at 49, particularly prior to free agency. We'll have a much better idea in about six weeks after free agency hits. But, Shane, to me, it's all about the lines of scrimmage, man, whether it's interior D-line, interior offensive line. I need some bodies, man. I need some big uglies on the line of scrimmage. This team's got to get more physical. And if you're thinking about 17, you're thinking about 49, will there be some interior O-linemen and D-linemen available in those spots? Yes, it is actually a good year for both of those spots if that ends up being where the needs of of the Jaguars hit after free agency, uh, I would say that's a good position to be in. I mean, I think the defensive line um, looked, you know, kind of weak at the top um, coming into, you know, the out of the season. But I think a lot of players between the senior bowl uh, and just me going back and rewatching a couple guys, I I think there is Jerzon Newton out of Illinois at 17 to make a lot of sense. He was dominant in the big 10 Darius Robinson out of Missouri makes sense. And then, you know, if you look to the interior line, uh, it's just gotten a lot stronger. Jackson Powers Johnson from Oregon, who was a Pac-12 first team, dominated the Senior Bowl. He didn't allow uh, a sack this year. Um, You look at someone like Zach Frazier out of West Virginia, maybe in round two as a possibility of of upgrading Luke Fortner. So I I think it's actually a good spot for the Jaguars to be in with this draft and what they need. You mentioned Jackson Powers Johnson. Jaguar fans have flocked to that guy because they're over Luke Fortner. So they're looking for a center. And that is the most popular center prospect out of Oregon in the history of Jacksonville, Florida. That's all anybody's <laughs> talking about here. What is your thought on Jackson Powers Johnson? I, I think the, the questions he has is not, not a ton of experience, but what you see on film is a player with a lot of power and he understands leverage. And when you combine those two things, a player that can bend – Uh, like Jackson Powers Johnson does and has the power to drive you off the ball. You see in the run game where he creates holes from the interior, uh, but the leverage is good enough that even against these big athletic, good first step, you know, defensive tackles, um, he can match them and can get under those pads and not let them at the quarterback. So I think that combination is really good. I think he's moving up boards. Um, yeah, I, I reside here in Pittsburgh. Same thing's happening here for pick 20. Everyone wants, uh, you know, everyone wants uh, Jackson Powers Johnson. So uh, it, it'll be interesting. I think if the Jaguars at 17, if, if they want them, they're probably going to have to take them there. Quickly, uh, about 90 seconds to go, as far as Florida State, could be a very productive draft for them. Keon Coleman, Jared Verse. They're first-round locks, right? I think Jared versus. I think Coleman's kind of on the edge because he had some down games. Uh, but maybe after the combine, we see him pop definitely into that first round uh, because the potential's out of this world. And as far as Florida, I guess the big story there was Ricky Pearsall in Mobile. Apparently he left after a couple of practices, said, I'm out of here because he, he performed so well. What is your thought on Ricky Pearsall? Might be, I'd say, top three route runner in the draft. I think he's uh, flirting with day two, round three. Could be a team that really likes Ricky Pearsall, probably the highest drafted Florida Gator this year. Shane Hallam, Draft Countdown. Shane, tell the good folks here in Jacksonville about Draft Countdown and what they can expect when they head on over to the website. Yeah, check out DraftCountdown.com. I have a seven-round mock draft. I have my rankings. You can also download our podcast, uh, The Draft Countdown, wherever you get your podcasts. Shane, terrific stuff, man. Always appreciate you. We'll do it again in a couple of weeks, bud. No, thanks for having me. This 
just in on Hacker After Dark. All right, well, just when you think the Tennessee Titans couldn't do any more to the Jacksonville Jaguars than they did a month ago, we got a little breaking news out in Las Vegas, Nevada at the ping pong tournament. As ladies and gentlemen, Titan quarterback Will Levis has eliminated Jaguar quarterback Trevor Lawrence in a ping pong battle. Trevor was asked about the loss moments ago. This was off my buddy Jamal St. Sarah of Channel 4's Twitter feed. Listen to what Trevor had to say. This was pretty funny. It's tough. Just like I felt in week 18. I mean, same thing. Uh, no, it's, he's good. He's good. That paddle made a big difference. The sandpaper paddle. He, he was telling the truth there. Oh, just like it felt in week 18. Here we are a month later and the Titans again getting one over on the Jaguars. This on the ping pong table as Will Levis defeats Trevor Lawrence. That'll be a tough pill to swallow for what has been already a very hard Jaguar offseason. We will talk Super Bowl 58, Chiefs 49ers. We will talk Jags. We'll talk a little draft as well. My buddy Matt Verderam of Sports Illustrated, he joins us next. Jaguars, Chiefs, 49ers, and more on a Wednesday night edition of Hacker After Dark with Dylan Denmark, the hacker Ryan Green with you. It's 1010XL and it's 92.5 FM. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. And then there were two. Super Bowl 58 will be the Kansas City Chiefs and the San Francisco 49ers. Boy, Championship Sunday was a lot of fun. But in the end, Kansas City and San Francisco are the two left standing. Of course, the Jaguars have a new defensive coordinator and are looking for a new direction following the biggest collapse of their franchise's history. And with all that being said, the Senior Bowl is going on in Mobile, Alabama this week. So there is a ton to get into. With that, let's go out to Mobile. My buddy Matt Verderam of SI, always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Matt, how you doing, man? I'm doing well. How are you? Matt, we're good. Matt, you and I haven't spoken since the collapse at the end of the year. Uh, my gracious, man. What do you make of what happened here in Jacksonville at the end of the season? Yeah, you know, I really, I mean, look, some unfortunate injuries. I mean, obviously Lawrence, you know, he gets hurt a couple different times and didn't seem like he was 100%. But I, I think if you're, if you're being realistic, it wasn't just the injuries. I mean, they, they defensively, they could not stop anybody from throwing football. And it got to a point where, I mean, if you can't stop the pass in today's NFL, you're done. I don't care how talented you are. Unless, unless you have an offense that is just so dominant that you can win games 35-31 every week, it's going to be tough to overcome that. And, you know, we saw Jacksonville as the year went on. It, you know, they, they just simply could not get off the field, uh, which is why there was the change at defensive coordinator. Uh, I still believe in, in Trevor Lawrence. I still believe in a lot of the playmakers on offense. But at some point, you got you got to be able to defend down the field. And other than Josh Allen on defense, uh, there weren't enough guys stepping up. There were not enough guys, and certainly nobody in the secondary who you looked at went that guy week in week out. I know is going to play at a Pro Bowl level. Um, just wasn't good enough. And in the end, uh, you know, a really you know a, a brutal loss to Tennessee, and it leaves a lot of questions. Matt Verderam of Sports Illustrated. Matt, we mentioned Mike Caldwell is out at defensive coordinator. Ryan Nielsen is in. Now, I don't know a lot about Ryan Nielsen other than the people I've talked to in Atlanta that really liked him in the one year he was there. And in watching the Falcon defense, they did some nice things this year, Matt. So from that alone, I guess I'm intrigued by Ryan Nielsen coming to Jacksonville. 
I think he's a great hire. I do. Um, you talk to people in the league, he's highly respected. Look, I mean, he really – the only reason he was available is because Arthur Smith got fired. You know, it wasn't anything he did. It wasn't like he was let go because of poor performance. Um, you know, and that's a unit in Atlanta with some talent, uh, but not an overwhelming amount of talent. I mean, I think you look at them, and like Jesse Bates came over last year in free agency. He was great. Calais Campbell feels like he's, he's ageless. I uh, still had a nice year there. and But, you know, they – they are a team defensively in Atlanta that you look at them and go, okay, there's good talent. There's good personnel. But there, it's not like you're looking at the Legion of Boom over there. Um, I, I think, you know, coming over to, to Jacksonville, he should be able to implement a defense that plays a little bit more sound in structure. Uh, is a little bit more control that, you know, not going to have as many breakdowns in coverage. I, I, you know, you look at the way Atlanta played. Um, I, I think the best word for it is just sound. They, they weren't flashy and spectacular all over them. They were just a good, sound, smart defense. And that was something at times in Jacksonville they weren't last year. A lot of blown coverages, a lot of mistakes. Um, I mean, sometimes you're better off just being sound and not being incredibly gifted. Of course, you'd love to be both. But you, if you're sound, you're not going to beat yourself. And, and in the NFL, a lot of times, that, that, that wins you the game because the other team, will they'll make enough mistakes to let you get out with a victory. Yeah, the Jaguar defense would be good in being sound and not letting David Njoku fair catch a couple of touchdowns and Derrick Henry run right. through gaps as wide as the Pacific Ocean there at the end of the year. It was a cluster of errors for the defense towards the end of the season. Matt, you know, Trent Baalke's going to remain as GM. Press Taylor is going to remain as offensive coordinator. There's a lot of questions here about both guys. Let's begin with Press Taylor. That's that's an odd dynamic with he and Doug Peterson, right? I mean, you could argue that cost Doug Peterson his job in Philadelphia, the loyalty to Press Taylor, and we're kind of going back down the same road, aren't we, here in Jacksonville a little bit? Well, I mean, you know, I, I think it's – it's look, it, it remains to be seen how this is all going to shake out. But I do think at some point if you're Peterson, you have to be willing to say, look, I'm the head coach. This is – going to be my offense, sink or swim. Doesn't mean Press Taylor can't have a say in it. Doesn't mean Press Taylor's got to be fired. But, like, I do think if you're Peterson, I mean, that's your baby. That offense is your – I mean, you're a former NFL quarterback. You made your bones coming up as an OC, won a Super Bowl with a team that and that's in that Super Bowl. I mean, Foles had the, the game of his life. And, and Wentz was on his way to be an MVP that year before he got hurt. So, I mean, he has obviously overseen some very successful offenses, including Jacksonville last season when they went to the playoffs. Um, but I think, you know, there needs to be a little bit more of, Hey, look, I'm the one running the show. This is my offense. Press Taylor's here in a supporting role. Um, much like you see in Kansas city right now with Maggie and, and Reed. I mean, Maggie's there to help install the game plan and make sure things are on point. But like it's Andy's offense. I mean, Andy's running that show. And I bring them up because Peterson coached with all those guys in Kansas city like that. That should be kind of the model that I think he should follow. Matt Verderam of SI. Quickly to Trent Balky, Matt. The Jaguar fan base is probably more unhappy that Balky remains than Press Taylor. Uh, your thoughts on Trent Balky? And boy, he held a press conference last week where, again, just did not make a lot of friends among the Jaguar fan base here. Your thoughts on Balky moving forward here in Jacksonville? Um, I would say that I, I understand the frustration. Um, Balky brought in a lot of talented guys in San Francisco, but that was always a combative situation with the 49ers when he was there with Jim Harbaugh. Now, some of that is Jim Harbaugh's 
a combative guy to begin with. And so you mix those two. Okay, fine. Uh, you know, it's a different personality dynamic with, with Peterson there. But, you know, bulky somebody who, you know, I, I think it's fair to say sometimes you look at the personnel decisions and you say, look, you overpaid this guy. Or, you know, maybe this guy got drafted around too high. When, when bulky likes somebody, he goes all in a lot of times for him. And, and look, it, sometimes that's fine. Sometimes that works out for you. Maybe maybe you were aggressive and, and you beat another team to the to the player, whether it be in free agency or the draft. But, you know, bulky is a guy who has a history of, you know, he'll, he'll have some big hits, but he has some big misses. And, you know, if you're Jacksonville right now, you've got Lawrence on a rookie deal here for the next couple of years, plus, you know, control with tag and stuff that they use it. Um, you got to take advantage now because this conference is not getting any easier. I mean, Stroud is clearly an elite quarterback in Houston. We don't know what Richardson's going to be yet. We'll wait and see there, but Steichen's a very good head coach. You'll look at the round of the AFC, look at all the quarterbacks. I mean, yeah, forget Rogers for a minute since he's older, but like just Mahomes, Herbert, Jackson, Allen, Burrow. I mean, on down the line, the guys already mentioned, the Lawrence certainly among them, Strack. It's just not going to get easier. So you, you can't afford big misses. You got to hit. You do. And, and look, they the Jaguars, you know, 12 months ago thought they were the team that was going to be in the top five. And, heck, they were eight and three in the number one seed in the AFC for a few hours. And then it all yep. came crumbling down. You know, we know it was a battle between Houston, Indy, and Jacksonville. What about Tennessee, Matt? Brian Callahan, the brand-new head coach there. Uh, you look at Titans Twitter. They think it's the greatest hire on planet Earth. National guys, your colleagues, not so much. What's your opinion on the Callahan hire? I know it doesn't make for great radio, but I'm kind of in a wait-and-see mode. Look, you know, it's hard to evaluate a guy like Callahan because he comes from Cincinnati, where they have the lead offensive talent, and they have an offensive-minded head coach in Zach Taylor. So – how much of their success was due to those factors? How much of it was due to Callahan? Now, if you talk to people around Cincinnati, they'll tell you, hey, look, Brian Callahan is a, is a first-rate coach, and that's fine. But he's not walking into a situation with Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase. He's, I mean, that, that's just it's not reality. So you don't know with that. Is Will Levis, is he the future, or is he a guy? Um, DeAndre Hopkins played well this year. He's older. You know, Traylon Burks, I think flashes, but you know, going into year three, is he was he worth that first round pick? I don't know that we have the answer to that question yet. There's a lot of questions. I, I think Callahan has promise. I think he has potential, but to sit there and say either it's a bad hire or it's a good hire, I just think a lot of times we always see a guy, you know, young coach, especially on the offensive side, to get hired, and everybody runs to say how great the hire is. Like you have no idea. I mean, for every guy who who is a Shane Steichen. There is a Brendan Staley. Mm-hmm. Like for every, so I think we just have to wait and see. I think it has promise, but I don't think we know a ton about Callahan. Final moments with Matt Verderam of SI. He's out in Mobile covering the Senior Bowl. Matt, I know you'll be in Vegas next week covering the Super Bowl, and that's where Kansas City and San Francisco will be. Uh, look, let's talk about the losing teams first, the Detroit. Your thoughts on Dan Campbell and his uh, disregard for anything that resembles a field goal in the second half of that game. I, I've always liked Dan Campbell. I liked him since the second he got hired. I thought his press conference, everybody was killing him. I thought it was I thought it was honest. I thought the players would like him. That game yesterday is indefensible, period. Flat out, I don't care what any analytics guy out there said. I don't care. Like, that. that is – you cannot – 
pass up that field goal 27 to 24. You want to argue about the first one at 24 to 10? Okay, I would have kicked the field goal, but okay, I can hear that argument. To not kick the field goal with whatever it was, seven, eight minutes left, down three points. I mean, what, what world are you in? You need to tie the game. And then if the Niners go and score, worst case, you can tie it. And instead, they don't get anything. And then they go and they give up a touchdown. And then they get to the goal line. And I, to this to this moment in time, I have no idea what they were doing on third down running the football. And then calling a timeout. I mean, that, that essentially finished off the game. I don't know why they did that. I thought it – look, I thought Campbell, he was aggressive all year, and that's fine. You can't coach a playoff game like you coach week three. And I know people like to be like, well, you know, you got to be consistent. That's great. That sounds good. It's a different game against a much better opponent. You have to play differently. They didn't. They're home. I completely agree with you. I love everything about Dan Campbell. I thought it was a horrible night for him. And as far as Baltimore goes, uh, Lamar Jackson struggles again in the postseason. Steve Spagnuolo, the Kansas City defense, the Ravens had no answers for him. What does this do to Jackson and the Ravens moving forward, losing that game yesterday? I, I think it's a devastating loss. And not just because, well, you know, they had an opportunity and they lost. But like when you look at them, let's be real. They're going to lose a lot of guys in free agency this offseason. It's coming. They have a ton. There are very few teams that have more talent. Maybe nobody who has more talent hitting free agency than Baltimore. Whether you want to talk about Clowney, Matt Abuke, Kevin Zeitler, Odell Beckham, uh, Geno Stone. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. They are not going to retain a lion's share of those guys. Japan Jackson now. This was a huge opportunity. Chargers and Jags with elite quarterbacks don't make the playoffs. The Bills get knocked out. They don't have to play them. Burrow's hurt. Rodgers is hurt. If there's ever a year that you see, you know, Stroud, it's his first year. He's, he's dipping his feet in the water. The Chiefs are very mortal, or at least appear to be anyway. Like, you have an opportunity right there. And you're at home. You're the number one seed. And I thought the most, I guess, the, the hardest thing to swallow for Baltimore out of that game for me is a lot of it was just they did to themselves. I mean, it was just personal fouls. I think they were frustrated. I do not think they expected the Chiefs to come in there and physically hand it to them. And that's what happened. And I, I think they had a really hard time dealing with that physicality, which is normally their calling card. Um, it's a crushing loss considering what, what this offseason is probably going to be like for them. And the absolute crazy thing, Kansas City didn't even score in the second half, and Baltimore right. still could not find a way to get it done. Matt, final thoughts, Super Bowl 58. You'll be out in Vegas, obviously, covering it with the Chiefs and the 49ers. I know we're still 13 days out, but what's your early thought on the Super Bowl? I think this is a rough matchup for San Francisco. I, I, I do not think this is going to go well for Brock Purdy against Spagnuolo in this game. If there's any coordinator in the league you you don't want to face as a young quarterback, probably Spagnuolo right now. I mean, I, they have completely shut down the best offenses that they've seen all year long. I mean, Baltimore was scoring 30 points plus almost every single week for the last three months. They scored 10 points. And they had the ball constantly, as you alluded to, in the second half of the game. They still couldn't score. Um, look, I respect the Niners. I think they have a lot of talent. I think – this is going to be one of these games where about the middle of the third quarter, you're watching it going. Spagnuolo just has his head spinning. He, he's just throwing so much at him. Uh, I like the Chiefs in the game. I think the Chiefs will find a way. I don't think the Niners' defense is as good as it's been in years past. I think it's decent. I don't think it's great. Um, between Mahomes and Kansas City's defense, I think they're going to find a way to win that game. 
you're as close to Kansas City as any national guy is. There's already a rumor if Kansas City wins, that might be it for Andy Reid. Any any thoughts on that? I'd be shocked. I'd be shocked. Um, I do not think that's – I mean, look, he's 66. Um, he's one of the older coaches in the league, but, but he's not the oldest by any stretch. Uh, and he's got a couple of years left in his contract. I I have had no indication from anybody I talked to in Kansas City that that's the case. I think there's speculation because of the age. Same thing with Kelsey this year. I think Kelsey's coming back no matter what happens. Um, I, would, I would be very surprised if, if it's the end for either one of us. Matt Verderam, Matt of SI. Now, you're in out in Mobile. You'll be covering the Senior Bowl. But I saw you started a piece there on SI today. It's going to be running where you had a lot of people involved in it. Tell, take mm-hmm. us through that here in Jacksonville for people that want to check that out on SI.com. Yeah, thanks. Uh, it went up – well, the first part of it went up today. So I wrote a piece. I wrote a, It's a large project, the 50 most influential teams in NFL history – uh, teams 50 through 41 went up today. It's a five-part series. It runs, you know, one part every day this week on SI.com. Um, for the piece, we had a panel of, I believe, 31 people, some of the most esteemed people in the, in the country who cover the league, some people who have been in the league, like Bill Polian and Amy Trask. Uh, we've all, all voted on the top 50 teams for us, came to a consensus on the list, and then I wrote up uh, a blurb, you know, 152 words about each team. We had a panelist quote in there. And then I spoke to a Hall of Fame player, a star player, or the coach uh, for every team that was in the Super Bowl era and a couple of the Packers teams even prior to that. Um, and, and they have quotes in there. People who range from uh, you know, Dan Fouts and Larry Zonka to Joe Namath, Ty Law, uh, on down the list, the entire 104-year history of the NFL. So uh, it also will be in print. It's, I think it just hit newsstands today. Uh, it's 16 pages in the magazine, and that's only about 15% of the words you're going to see online. They just couldn't fit it all. So um, go check it out. It's, I think, in total like 23, 24,000 words online, uh, but it's broken up into five parts, so it's not going to make your eyes bleed. It's a lot of fun. That is absolutely fantastic. I can't wait to check that out. Matt Verderam, one of my favorites to talk NFL with. Matt, I know you're busy, man. Thank you so much for the time. We'll do it again soon. You got it. No problem. And thank you to Matt Verderam of Sports Illustrated for joining us tonight here on Hacker After Dark, talking Jaguars, of course, talking Super Bowl 58, and a lot more, the Chiefs and the 49ers to decide the Super Bowl on Sunday. You know, one of the things that we really got into tonight, obviously the Jaguars, we were hoping they would be playing on Sunday. That did not come to fruition. But Trevor Lawrence made the rounds with the media earlier this week and and said a lot of interesting things including he said something along the lines of maybe in the long run it's a good thing we missed the playoffs because we'll get hungrier and we, we know we're not as good as maybe we thought and I do think there is some validity to that I mean obviously it's never a good thing to have the biggest collapse in the history of the franchise which essentially is what the final six weeks of the 2023 season were But on the flip side, I think obviously now the Jaguars know they're nowhere near as good as they thought. Both the players and the front office know that. I'm sure Trent Baalke, even though he won't admit it, realizes he made some mistakes in roster management last year. And you're going to see some changes. And you're going to see some changes pretty quick. Again, the league calendar and NFL free agency begins um, Wednesday, March 13th. Negotiations begin Monday, March the 11th. And you're going to see much, much more 
roster turnover this year than you saw a year ago. So maybe what Trevor said, albeit I don't agree with all of it, but maybe there is a, some truth in there that in the long run, maybe a year or two, three years down the road, we'll look back on the collapse of 2023. Not now, obviously not now, but in the future, we'll look back on the collapse of 2023 and say, yeah, that probably was a good thing because the Jaguars knew they were not as good as they thought and they knew changes needed to be made. Well, that'll certainly wrap it up for a Wednesday night edition of Hacker After Dark. We thank you guys for hanging out with us here on 1010XL and on 92.5 FM. We have a ton of people to thank. Again, Matt Verderam of Sports Illustrated. Always appreciate talking ball with Matt here on Hacker After Dark. Thank you to Shane Hallam, DraftCountdown.com. Shane is one of our guys when it comes to the NFL draft, and it is that time of year. Senior Bowl in the rearview mirror. We are just a couple of weeks away from the NFL scouting combine. So certainly appreciate Shane Hallam for joining us, not just talking about the 24 draft class, but looking at some of the Jaguar young players, Trayvon Walker, Devin Lloyd, Anton Harrison, just to name a few. So as always, thank you to Shane Hallam. And back at hour number one, my buddy Leon Searcy. You hear him every day on primetime. You get him weekly here on Hacker After Dark, former Pro Bowl offensive tackle. For the Jacksonville Jaguars, always enjoy talking not only Jags, but certainly previewing big games like the Super Bowl with my buddy Leon Searcy. We'll be back tomorrow night on a Thursday, and we will do it all over again beginning at 8 o'clock. Dylan Denmark was your producer. Tonight, Dylan, great job as always. I'm the hacker, Ryan Green. And again, Jacksonville, thank you for spending part of your Wednesday evening with us right here on Hacker After Dark on 1010XL, and on 92.5 FM. So for all of us here on HAD, have an absolutely terrific remainder of your Wednesday evening, and we will talk to you again tomorrow night on a Thursday beginning at 8 o'clock. Until then, good night, Jacksonville.